You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Have you ever wanted to chat with a CIA analyst about how to spot propaganda campaigns or maybe learn what it is like to be a real-life private investigator? I want you to check out Jordan Harbinger's podcast. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never-been-heard-before stories and thought-provoking insights. Check out Jordan's conversations with Thomas Erickson about how to protect yourself from psychopaths or his chat with Renee DiResta on dismantling the disinformation machine without fail. He pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode, all with a noble cause to make you a more informed, critical thinker to better operate in today's world. There is so much here. There's just so much here. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It is incredibly interesting. There is never a dull show. Search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Suns up, y'all. On last week's episode of True Sunlight Podcast, we told you about how Alec Murdoch's best friend and criminal co-conspirator Corey Fleming seemed to be missing for almost two weeks. Shortly after we published that episode, just like that, the Bureau of Prisons updated its online database to show that Corey was imprisoned in Atlanta. I feel like we could have predicted that sudden update. That's always the way. We ask the questions, and instead of getting straight answers, we get more strange twists. We don't know if our hunch is right, that he was at an undisclosed location finally talking to law enforcement. But Eric, Liz, and I discuss what Corey's help in the ongoing Murdoch investigations could actually mean. Also on today's show, we talk about serious media leaks coming apparently from the South Carolina grand jury in the Stephen Smith case and how they could hurt the case. Also, Eric gives us an update on where things stand with SLED. We also discuss the latest filing in Alex's federal case and how Dick and Jim's sinister plan is getting thwarted again. It doesn't matter how much nonsense these guys put out there. We can always rely on three things. One, the court will keep letting it happen without sanctioning them. Two, the media will see their lies called out again and again and still treat them as though they are honest people who should be listened to. And three, they'll do it again. Lastly, and my favorite part, premium members will hear us get into Taylor Swift's new romance with a player from my hometown team, the Kansas City Chiefs, and why people are so scared of powerful women. This Wednesday, October 11th, we will broadcast True Sunlight's 18th episode on YouTube at noon, and our pre-recorded happy hour and live chat with Sandy Smith will broadcast this Thursday, October 12th at 7 p.m. for Soak Up the Sun Premium members. I'll be in Charleston for a few events October 26th that I look forward to. But for now, let's get into it. Happy 50th episode, everybody. 
Cups up, guys. How are you doing? Cups up. Cups up. Happy Friday night from Rome, Italy. Happy Friday night. How are you doing, Eric? You look good. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Just, it's been a magical trip. You know, Renee and I are celebrating next month our 35th. And so it's just been a wonderful romantic trip, learning a lot. You know, I usually don't do too well on, you know, going from painting to painting to painting and hearing the backstory, but I was able to convince our tour guide to give us the cliff notes. So just the high points. So it's been pretty good and I've had a pretty good attention span when my attention span normally for this stuff isn't great. And the food's been wonderful. Of course, you're not even interested in like the Caravaggio's. Those seem to have good backstories. Have you seen any of those? Nah, no. Those are dark. No, we went to, uh, so far we've been to Venice and we saw, you know, the Dolce Palace and St. Mark's and learned about how basilicas come about because they have to have a relic of the saint to become a basilica. And then we went to Bologna, which is a university city where there's 70,000 students. And there's so many archways, 40 miles of archways all throughout Bologna and red roofs. And then we went to Parma for just insane food and learned about, you know, how they make the Parmigiana Reggiana and the prosciutto and how it's very competitive in getting the stamp of approval from the FDA of Italy. And then today we went to Ravino, which is just an amazing history of mosaics in all of their churches. No frescas, just mosaics. And now, of course, we're in Rome for the last three days. So we're on the back end of our trip. Looking forward to coming home and excited to do the podcast tonight. Thank you. That's so great. Cool. You should stop at McDonald's and get the Italy. Do they still have that? <laughs> they do. And I learned that McDonald's here they use real beef it's a different beef in italy than they use anywhere else in the world when we were in switzerland i think it was yeah zurich like the restaurant with the biggest line and like the biggest crowd outside of it in all of zurich i swear to god was mcdonald's no question no question no question and that's crazy it it was insane they and like at every airport <laughs> mcdonald's was always the busiest that we went to in europe like they love themselves to mcdonald's and the United States were like, right. Ugh, what? Sad to say, whenever I come back to the United States, I do go for a little McDonald's. So I, there's something about the predictability. It's gross, I know, but you know. And I've had gelato every day, guys, every single day, just a small cup. Small cup, but every day. My favorite dessert is affogato. And I think I have Mandy and David hooked on that too now. So have you had that yet with its uh, espresso poured no. over the coffee or the gelato? It's so good. You should get it. I don't drink coffee, so uh, I'm not a big time coffee. That's crazy. Yeah. How did I not know that about you? It is. Yeah. It would be nuts to see Eric on coffee. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> Danny, my, my best friend, Dan, my best friend, Danny drinks seven cups in the morning and then two espressos before he go to bed. I love it. Seven cups. It's delicious there. It's so good. I do love coffee. I'm drinking yeah. coffee right now. Well, tell me about what I missed this week. What did I miss this week, Liz and Mandy? Tell me what's other than uh, I saw some a article about Stephen Smith that it seems like they're lining up um, on two suspects, or at least that's what the article said. Not just people that have information, but they use the word suspect. So I found that to be very interesting. But anything else that pop up this week? 
I think about that, what kind of upset me is from last weekend, I just heard so much from Sandy about how frustrated she is that SLED isn't telling you or her anything at all. And it's frustrating that the media is getting leaks from the grand jury situation, apparently. And Sandy has no idea what's going on. And neither do I. I I haven't heard back from Chief Keel. Remember, I told you I texted with him last week and I was a little disappointed that I didn't hear back and I never heard back. Right. Like, I just don't. I, I hope that they're making progress. I just really worry with leaks, what that could do. And I worry that and I also don't want to get Sandy's hopes up with just it looks like they're zeroing in on suspects and they aren't. What do you think, Liz? Sort of the same thing. I, you know, my whole thing is that I felt like there might have been some resistance, like prior to you getting involved in the case, Eric, there felt like there was a lot of resistance when it came to this case still, when we were talking about law enforcement and sort of the resolve to go after who did this and get answers. I just want to make sure that I feel like I, I rely a lot on that disturbing conversation that I had with one of the private detectives before I got back into media, before I got on the podcast. I had had a conversation with the private detective who was involved in the case through Andy Savage's office. And I just felt like he was being conclusive in a way that felt preemptive. And I also felt like he was getting involved in a way that did not comport with how I know that private detectives should be working with law enforcement. So... It just felt a little off to me. And we've subsequently spoken to sources who he questioned, and you sort of got that same sense of offness, right? Overall, I would just urge caution at this point in drawing any conclusions because ultimately, yeah, we haven't heard from Chief Keel. And in my opinion, he's the guy to listen to on this. So I agree. I agree that it's dangerous that somebody is one quoting from a grand jury proceeding because that is extremely unlawful. There appears to be a leak if that is true, which is troubling. But most importantly, as Mandy and I have said, it's unfair to Sandy Smith. It, it just puts her formulating thoughts in her head that, that may not be true. Are they coming to a decision on someone's guilt or responsibility? Did it happen the way that it's being portrayed in the Fitz News article? And I'm not questioning their accuracy, but until we hear from reliable authorities, I think we all should just pause. Now, with that said, I am disappointed in Chief Keel. Uh, I can say publicly he has not responded to my text from last week. And if there is a leak, I would expect him to be fully investigating where that leak is coming from about a grand jury that hasn't reached its final conclusions. A grand jury leak is illegal, right? Like you can get charged and go to jail for that, right? Correct. That's what's crazy to me. I, I think that was a plot of The Wire. <laughs> um, they had a leak on the grand jury who was like selling a grand jury information to people. I, I think that was it. But yeah, it's very concerning. And the other thing is just Sandy last weekend expressed to me just several times how many people reach out to her and kind of blame her for being quiet about this. Like they're like, they think that Sandy is withholding information from the public. And Sandy gets accused of that. And 
And it gets worse when Will has articles coming out uh, that just makes it, it look like there's no reason whatsoever Will Folks could, should be getting more updates on the Stephen Smith investigation than Sandy Smith. That's absurd and that's horrible. And whoever it is needs to get their shit together because that's just wrong. Well, on top of that, I also think that there's sort of this weird one-sided competition in this coming from not our direction in terms of wanting to get that story out there quickly. And I think once you, I think sometimes when you have that mentality, you do reckless things and that's all I'll say. So I don't know, obviously, anything about the truth of what what was reported, but I'm certainly not going to, I'm going to consider the source on that right now. Fair enough. Yeah. But I can tell you that, I can tell you though, that, that Kenny Kenzie, our expert, um, I believe is going to meet with SLED over the next week or two and tell him them his theory of uh, what may have happened to Stephen that night. Excellent. That's good to hear. Yeah. I just, again, I, I hope they're making progress. I urge SLED to reach out to you and Sandy and at, at least, at the very least, give an update that you two cannot share with anybody else to at least reassure her that they are still with her, still doing this. It, she's just kind of been in the dark for a while and we need to get that back on track. They, and just so the listeners know in follow up what you said, Mandy, Sandy's being quiet and, and not voicing any concerns because she's doing that at the request of the SLED to let them do their investigation. So that is why we have been quiet. Well, it completely undermines their investigation when the names of potential suspects are being thrown about in the media. And it because it, at the end of the day, like if you are a SLED agent, you don't want those names out there because you're trying to, I would presume, arrest them, bring them in for questioning, something like that. So by putting those names out there, what are you doing other than warning them that it's coming for them if they don't already know that at this point? So reckless all around. But what can you say? And we'll be right back. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. It has done wonders for our seasonal allergies. We recently started feeling the effects of spring. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination 
combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestion available relieves sneezing, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Ready to live life as if you don't have any allergies? It is time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Eric, since you've been gone, we finally got a response from the government. That's a song. Since you've been gone. Isn't that a song? It's Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. Since you've been gone. (laughs) I can't. I could breathe for the first time. Since you've been gone, uh, there's been... uh, Okay, so Eric, while you were gone, the government filed its response to Dick and Jim's motion to have U.S. Marshals immediately seize Alex's assets from the receivership. And within that... And their response is basically like, no, we're not going to even try that. We're good. Let the state deal with that. So completely like Dick and Jim's uh, plan got completely thwarted by the government. We hope. We obviously Judge Gurgle still has to rule on that. Uh, But what was most fascinating were the exhibits that the government included with this response. There were several of them, starting with an affidavit from, uh, I believe his name is, is it Walter Tolliver or William Tolliver? Yeah, he's the new court-appointed receiver uh, that Judge Hall has approved. The special referee. So he was he was approved to basically look at all the claimants and all the creditors and have them stand shoulder to shoulder, not pick winners or losers, but to, to divide the assets uh, equitably. He has a lot of, uh, it looks like he has a lot of experience uh, on this front federally and in the state. One of the arguments that Dick and Jim made was that this guy was going to charge hundreds of thousands of dollars to do this job. And they were basically saying that the government, this is their argument to the judge, the government should seize the assets now to protect it basically from this predatory guy who's going to be charging all this money. And guess what? It turns out that's a lie. So his affidavit is essentially saying Dick and Jim lied when they said that my fees were going to be this high. They're actually going to be between 50,000 and 75,000. So that was the first in a long list of what looks like lies and thwarted schemes that the receivership uh, was able to sort of ferret out and put a stop to. And it was a really good overview of the things that we've been talking about episode after episode, this is our 50th episode. So for 50 different episodes, we've been talking about Dick and Jim and Ellick doing these schemes. At what point does it stop? Like at what point are Dick and Jim stopped from being able to do the things that they're doing? Because it's just constantly wasting our time. Well, it's going to stop soon when judges start to say enough is enough. One, it's going to happen, obviously, when Judge Gurgle uh, sentences Alex Murdoch. Two, it's going to happen when Dick and Jim make the motion to continue the November 27th Satterfield State Court criminal trial. Three, it's going to happen when Judge uh, Hall tells them, no, Alex, you're not going to get it, the $1.8 million of money that the receivers have recovered. So, that's kind of what I see as the horizon for 
uh, Dick and Jim, but I'm sure they're going to file some kind of lawsuit to stop the proceedings or appeal. You know, now they 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 seem to believe that their best uh, forum is the appellate courts, and that's why everything is getting appealed. Um, so we'll have to see. I was just thinking out loud. There's been several times in the last couple of years when I've been like, why doesn't Judge Newman sanction Dick and Jim for their shenanigans? Why hasn't he? And now I'm kind of realizing that if he sanctioned them at this point, they would use that against him as evidence that they were that Judge Newman's against them and that they he's not a fair judge. So it's like a it's a trap. Does any, am I crazy for thinking that? He could have done it earlier. No, I think you're brilliant. I think it's uh, perfect on point. I think he could have done that earlier, but since Dick has already telegraphed what he believes Judge Newman being prejudicial towards Alex Murdoch, I just think that Judge Newman's hands are tied right now and he can only make uh, decisions based on notions, but I don't think he's ever going to sanction Dick and Jim. Right. But I wonder if Judge Newman like foresaw that. I wonder if he was like, for instance, when a lot of people, when Dick uh, pointed the gun in the courtroom during the trial, a lot of people were like, why didn't Judge Newman actually do something about that with Dick and Jim? And uh, like that, that was a serious, that was a crime. (laughs) If you're not allowed to point and present a gun in a jokingly way and joke, you're not, you cannot do that. Uh, but now I'm wondering if he knew that like this could be a possibility and it's just all kind of hitting me that judge Newman is in a really, really tough spot. Well, even, uh, the way he handled Jim Griffin's thing. Yeah. He publicly excoriated Jim. He just doesn't seem that bad. Not that. Yeah. I think the thing with Jim, it was embarrassing, but I think it was embarrassing for Jim, obviously, but I also think that there was a lot more that Judge Newman could have done in that moment. So I think he went soft on him, and I think it's probably for the reasons that Mandy's saying. But also when you say the thing about Judge Gurgle that we're going to start to see Dick and Jim's, and in particular Dick's uh, shenanigans sort of come back at them, and we're going to start to see more strong rulings, I guess, from the court. Dick has a relationship with Judge Gurgle, and it even feels during Ellick's plea hearing that Judge Gurgle acknowledged that in some way. Like he he seemed to almost be, I want to say deferential to Dick, but it, it did seem like he was paying a little bit of respect. And granted, you guys were in the courtroom. I was not. I just read the transcript. Do you? Yeah, I won't put you on the spot, Eric, with that one. But he was a lot. <laughs> he was a lot. Uh, yeah, respectful is the word. And I think he even said the point. I respect your attorneys. Yeah, I, I want to just, you know, knows that Dick and Judge Gurgle have a close relationship. Dick was instrumental in getting him appointed to the bench, and they were co-counsels with each other on many cases in the 90s and early 2000s, having to do with the video poker industry and then on, I believe, some medical malpractice cases. You know, it's funny you said that because a friend of mine texted me the other day and said that a, a dare, it's a well-known fact in Columbia that a dare Burroughs, the U.S. attorney, um, that Dick Harputlian was instrumental in getting her into that position. And I did not know that. And 
that's again, as the U.S. Attorney's Office is just so connected with Dick, I was not aware of how much power this guy had until we start going through all of these people. And then it's like, well, he got he got that person there. He got that person there. And it, oh my gosh, it's overwhelming. But uh, that said, that's what made this whole thing so surprising that the U.S. Attorney's Office said no. Well, I think that um, it's Emily Limehouse. I think she is wants to not have this perception that she's favoring the defense or giving them any um, leeway. And I spoke with her and she wanted to make it clear that, look, they are going to defer to the state on all of these victim compensation issues and that, you know, there's no special deal that uh, she cut with Alex or Dick or Jim and that her goal was just to get Alex sentenced properly based on him pleading guilty to those 24 uh, felony crimes. Eric, do you feel like that was always going to be the government's response? I don't. I don't. I think that there was such a backlash by you and others and uh, confused about, well, why is all this victim's money going to go to the federal government, $9 million? And do we trust that they're going to distribute it to the right victims, not necessarily PMPD because they're going to stand in the front of the line and say they've spent, you know, over a million dollars in investigative costs or Palmetto State Bank and, you know, for all of their investigative costs. I don't view them as true victims. I don't view them as victims whatsoever. Ugh, neither do I. Um, Mandy, did you notice in the uh, Emily's filing that she sort of threw Dick and Jim a bone saying that by keeping the money with the state, it puts them in a better position to get paid from Ellick's estate. And then second, it seemed like she was saying or indicating, and I, I don't know if I'm reading into this or if I'm misremembering, but that PMPD or victims like PMPD, I don't think she actually said their name specifically, but she was indicating that they'd already been made whole by previous uh, cases. So it was almost like she was, in my mind, I, I wonder if she was saying that like our criticism of the government maybe doing this to help PMPD in some way wasn't actually valid because they've already been made whole as victims. Did that strike you any sort of way? Yeah. And I I really want to believe that Emily Limehouse, and I also want to back up that like I've heard all good I've heard lots of good things about Adair Burroughs too. And I think just because like I don't want people to think that I said just because um Dick Harputlian got her Dick Harputlian just got all sorts of people into their position and but I've heard that like when it comes down to it, she will do the right thing. And I hope that she, I hope that she does in this case. Um, but Emily Limehouse has been hard because uh, I feel, how have you felt Liz? Like, I feel like sometimes it feels like she's going really hard on this whole thing and that uh, she's all in. And then other times, definitely, I did feel like she was throwing them a little bit a little bit of a bone and I was wondering why in there. I can sometimes have a lot of great empathy for Emily in the situation that she's in because I can't imagine what it would be like to work in a sort of a pressure cooker like that where you want to do the best job that you can, especially knowing 
the spotlight that has been on the cases that she's been handling and probably knowing internally what her capabilities are. And this is really her time to shine. And, and I think there have been really good moments where you can see that. I know she's highly respected, but I also know this is South Carolina. And even though this is U.S. Attorney's Office, it is completely subject to the same amount of good old boyism uh, that you see and that we've been fighting against you know, in the low country, but it's almost worse to a degree in Charleston. I feel like, you know, Charleston like has, puts a spin on things. So while the good old boyism in the low country may be trended a little bit more like redneck reach, I don't know if that's a word or phrase. I don't know if it's an actually phrase like redneck reach, but like just people who have money, uh, who might be a little bit more rough around the edges. Charleston is another ball of wax altogether. Like it is almost like days of our lives when you start to get into the lives of these attorneys there. It is so dramatic. And so like when you hear, I've heard so many stories about the Ninth Circuit and what their prosecutors do after hours. And I've heard so many rumors about the attorneys that all went to the same private schools coming up in Charleston, all went to the same law school and sort of all have the same connections. And there's just behaviors that they have that are just actually morally repugnant, honestly, when you start to look at like their personal lives. And I, I'm just saying that this is just like 20 years of knowing uh, about Charleston attorneys. There's just a different sort of politic that happens there. So I feel for Emily Limehouse in that she's part of that ecosystem. Plus she's, she's married into the Limehouses. So, um, I think that she is in a very difficult position sometimes, and I want to believe that she's making the best of it. But I do wish, and I think we were asked about this, Eric, we did a happy hour last night uh, for Soak Up the Sun members. Uh, we were asked what made us brave. And one of the answers that we have for people is just that we didn't really have anything. We don't have anything to lose because we don't have these social connections that we have to sort of maintain in South Carolina. And I think that that's not the same for Emily. I think that there is a lot to lose there. And I think that every move she makes is scrutinized for what she does after the U.S. Attorney's Office, right? What what firm she's going to end up going to. Right. So that I feel for her. But it is disappointing when I see the door right. not being closed on Dick's face. I want the door to be closed on his face for once in his career. He would not do the same. I know that he does favors to people. I just want to see the door slammed on Dick's face at least once by somebody, as particularly a woman. Well, I think it's going to happen. I think it could happen on this jury issue. And if it happens on the jury issue and he does not prevail, I think it'll be the end of Dick Carpoolian, believe it or not. It was been, it's been so public, and he's invested so much in it, and he's put it all on the line with it. And if he comes up empty, um, it's sound and fury signifying nothing, and he, he's going to be the idiot. I'm telling you. I don't think so. Okay. I, I think the court... I think the court has to do something for the door to be slammed, uh, because the media is going to buddy up to him forever. And... They have been so clear that Dick Harputlian can lie to their faces and then they will take him seriously the next week about some about the the same thing. Um, I was just thinking the other day about like how he told so many people that Alex had an ironclad alibi. And that's just, uh, the press. He told the press that and how if 
if I had a source tell me something that was that big of a lie, I would be mad, mad, mad for a very long time. Because for to me, like as a journalist, that makes me look stupid if I'm just putting out your lies. But I don't think they care. I think all they, I think a lot of these media companies, especially in the way that media is now, in the way that it's designed, is they just want the crazy Dick Harpootlian drama wheel to keep spinning, and they're not going to stop it. Well, so you raise I, a good point. I think we need to do a list, and I'll work on it on the plane, of all the, the misses that Dick has had from the start in this thing, starting with you know the opioids and uh, we're going to actually show you who the killer was, like the Mark Garrigo, Scott Peterson thing. We're going to we're going to show you who the killer was. Am I dreaming that or I remember that, too? Right. Yeah, he said that. But also, conversely, uh, during their press conference after the trial or I think it was one of their press conferences. It might have been the jury press conference. They he literally said, I don't it's not our job to find out who the killer is. That's what he said. So he goes from this big uh, production of showing us that they have their own private investigation. They have a reward. They're doing. They're they're getting somewhere on that, and they've narrowed it down to some suspects. To it's not our job. So why was it your job then and not now? Which seems like a, if I personally am ever held, uh, if I get charged with the murder I did not commit, uh, it would be my job to find the real killer because I wouldn't trust a single person out there to do it other than me because they clearly have, you know, so why wouldn't it be your job at this point? Sounds a little bit like OJ saying he was going to find out who killed Ron and Nicole, right? Right. And it's, it, and, and again, I just think it goes back to, he is just so used to lying in the faces of people and them just coming back for more, uh, is law. I think that one thing Dick Harpelian has done, and I'll say this again, and I think he's pretty brilliant at it is he's, He's figured out all the weak spots in the press and he uses the crap out of that. And as long as the press continues to operate the way that it is, Dick Harpootlian is not going to be, the door is never going to be shut on him. And unless, again, the court steps in and does something official, then they really would have to start treating him different. What do you think, Liz? I think that it's important for people to know how Dick operates when it comes to the media. It's, you know, there there are figures like Dick that you have to go to. You have to call them up. You have to approach them. And you're careful about how you question them or what have you. But with Dick, he seeks out the media. So you could be sitting in the courtroom and he'll come up to you casually and then start dropping bombs on you. And as a reporter, when you get that kind of insight and he's telling you things on the record and, and Joe McCullough is like this to a certain extent too, where they say things that seem off the cuff or seem like things that are, you'd be kind of brave to put on the record. Um, or, you know, that you don't normally have sources put on the record that in and of itself feels like a reward to reporters. So they feel like they've done their job without actually having to do their job because they've gotten these great quotes and they've gotten. Um, but the, the thing that they're not looking at, to, you know, I don't it, it seems I should say it seems like they're not looking at when they get these quotes is why am I why, why me? Why are you telling me? Are you now using me to get forth your message? And I go back to what you said, Mandy. 
I have a source that I think is pretty good, generally speaking, but he's wrong sometimes and factually wrong on things. And I have to take that into account with things that he tells me. I can't just get excited about something that he tells me because there, I've had experience in the past with him being incorrect. Not that I've reported. I've never reported what he said without fact-checking, by the way. But at, at that, you know, that said, once you have a source that, that has proven it should have started with the, the ironclad alibi. Once every reporter heard that in court, once and for all, that that alibi was not ironclad uh, at all, not even a little bit. Um, <laughs> that should have been the moment that they were like, wait a second, you told me. And I think that this is something that we need to explore so that people can hear more about it. But that filing by the government with all its exhibit, exhibits is truly a list of of disproven lot like lies that they told and i think it's important that we we put that out for people so that they can see because the lie the list of lies not only gets longer but we get more details of what was involved in those lies it wasn't just a simple i said something and it was a lie it's there's a whole schematic in place to, to make their lies sort of come true i guess i just feel like that if the jury issue does not get resolved in Alex's favor simply because there's just not credible evidence to prove that Becky Hill did what Dick said and that it had that kind of effect on the jury. I think the media will turn on him and say, you really quiet, you really cried wolf, you tarnished the clerk of court, you, you tarnished Judge Newman, you tarnished the jury uh, giving their time of six weeks to this case. I, I think there's going to be some backlash. I may be wrong. You guys may be right. But I think this will be a lot of backlash if they're not successful. And we'll be right back. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So one thing that we mentioned in our episode of True Sunlight podcast this week is that, that it was pretty noticeable that Corey Fleming was missing. Uh, we could not find him. So on September 22nd, <laughs> I know, he, he was like in Abu Ghraib or something. <laughs> he, was, he was gone. We don't know where he was. So To a foreign country or something? I know that it's unusual. I know on September 22nd, he was checked out of Hotel Charleston County Detention Center, and he was supposed to check in with the Bureau of Prisons. So his name started to appear on their database, but it said that he was not in their custody. 
And after his September 14th hearing where he got sentenced, his name, a profile was created for him with the South Carolina Department of Corrections. And it said that he was he was in federal custody. So we reached out to the Bureau of Prisons and basically they said that he wasn't in custody, but that during transit, um, you don't they, they to protect the the prisoner they don't say where they're being held which is unusual uh i think in america you have to say where the prisoners are i don't think you can just take them off the map like that but we had heard that there were instances of this happening where prosecutors have done this before where they've sort of taken them off the map uh so that they can question them um sort of like in the in the case of a jailhouse snitch type scenario so we had sort of surmised that this could possibly be a sign that Corey was finally talking to investigators. What do you think, Eric? I, I think he filed his appeal um, against Judge Newman. The question is, is he talking to the state or he's talking to the feds? At this point, I would think with Debbie's connection of being a former assistant U.S. attorney and how shell-shocked she was at Creighton Waters, and what happened in Buford, if he's talking, it's on a federal level, not state level. What would be the benefit to talking on the federal level? Um, don't know. I mean, he's still staring down the barrel of that 13-year sentence. And unless um, they can get Creighton on board um, I, and Judge Newman, who's going to have to reverse the sentence. Remember, it's Judge Newman reversing a sentence that was given to the people of South Carolina. We're the victims. So- right. I don't know if he's just kind of get a clean conscience or that he's trying to get some kind of post-sentence cooperation. I've never heard of it, how it would work. I need to investigate it after your sentence. You know, can you come back in and now all of a sudden cooperate and get further reduction? I just don't know the answer to that. So that's something I'll look into when I get back. Well, isn't that the Gerard Price thing, the law that got changed in 2010 for substantial, like rewarding prisoners for substantial assistance? This could have been, I mean, this really could be his final card on the table and in terms but of- that, But that's the state level. Remember, that's that would be Creighton having to play along with that. And from what we've seen, Creighton is not doing that. He's, he has said that he hasn't gotten good cooperation from Corey Fleming. He believed that he was not truthful. And uh, I, I'm not sure there's a workable relationship right now between Debbie and Crate. But don't you think if he has, I mean, there's got to be some cornerstone piece of information out there that the AG's office is waiting for or hopes to get. And it would feel like if anyone in the situation would have that information, it would be Corey. And for him not to provide it to the state. For what purpose? On the murder case or on the financial crime cases? Remember. Or Stephen Smith. Right. His connection there. But definitely he was involved in, a, in an interview with law enforcement with David Price. And, you know, maybe he has information on the murder. Why would he give up all his, I mean, he's a smart person. Why would he give up all information that he had? when he could try to, he was trying to get away with giving as little information as possible to get the least amount of sentence. And now that blew up in his face. So I don't see Creighton turning his back on good information. And if anyone out there had good information, it's going to be Corey, right? Mandy, your thoughts? Yeah, I think 
I think something was up. So how many days in total was he like missing from both systems? So what's funny about this is after our episode aired yesterday and after Drew Tripp uh, tweeted because he was on the same um, track as we were and shout out to Drew Tripp because uh, like you said yesterday, if this was any other reporter who found this information at the same time that we did, we'd be annoyed. (laughs) Yeah, we would have been suspicious that one of the people that we were questioning about had said something. But um, that said... um, he's now in the system. So Bureau of Prisons is now saying he is in their custody and that he is in Atlanta. Yeah. And I mean, from I was texting around to a few uh, lawyers and former prosecutors, and they had never heard of somebody been missing being missing from the system for that length of time. Uh, And I feel like, again, it's just kind of a light bulb kind of clicked for me that like yet again there's something weird happening and it's probably weird uh i'm uh, there's been so many times where it's like could it be the weirdest thing and it, it usually is in this case <laughs> so it, i think there has to be some sort of meeting and i think also we just know how Corey and Alec operate until their back is absolutely against the wall and it's and they have nobody else to blame and it's just them and their uh time ahead time to serve ahead uh i could see Corey talking at that point because i think he honestly believed that his plan was going to work and he was just going to get a couple years in in pl- club fed and then everything's fine. He could go back to whatever he was doing, running marathons and Buford and whatever. Uh, I think he was, I think him and Debbie were absolutely shocked by that. And I, I'm with you, Liz. I I think that unless I, I don't see him giving up any information whatsoever, unless he absolutely had to. And think about it, like Eric, really think about it. This guy kept the Satterfield entire thing secret until you absolutely (laughs) until you figured it out and blasted it to the world like think about just going to bed every night and knowing that you helped steal millions of dollars from your own clients and and then knowing that that uh, the person that you helped steal millions of dollars with is in the middle of this international media storm and the largest murder investigation in South Carolina history. (laughs) And I mean, if I was Corey and I look back on that August interview where Alex came in, Alex and Corey came in and Corey was like acting as his lawyer. And I'm just blown away at the gall. Like Corey should have known from June 7th, the minute that he found out, like, okay, it's time to come clean about everything that I know. That's what a normal person would have done. But let me tell you how, how dark Corey is. He found out supposedly on September 3rd. Remember how shocked he was that the firm found out that Alex was stealing money and he realized, oh my God, he's been doing this on the Satterfield case and everything. He never called the Satterfields. He had. A full right. seven days to call right. the Satterfields to say, oh, by the way, I am your lawyer, and now I know what happened to your money. He didn't do that. 
he was still trying to keep it under wraps. It was right. only after I went public. Right. Because I think that that entire time, I think that he thought that PMPD was going to keep, I thought, I think that he just believed that it was just going to stay contained. And again, like he is believed until the very last moment that he's going to be able to get away with things. And then, so I could see him really being afraid of the state sentence and really that really shaking him up and finally being like, okay, Creighton, let me tell you. And I hope, I hope that he finally is there. And I hope that they're, because I do believe that Corey is the key to a whole lot of this. And I believe that he has so much information. Um, so the rest of us could stop banging our heads against the wall and stop running into, we're just running into brick wall after brick wall in this investigation. And I feel like Corey could, if, it, it makes me angry that Corey could help a lot of things, but I don't think he is. Or maybe he just decided, and then I would at least give him props for that. Uh, we need to mention, too, that Corey represented one of the two people that was named uh, as a potential suspect in the Stephen Smith case. So right. there's also um, maybe some you know correlation in that information as well. And not only that, I mean, Corey, Corey was just a very clear and present part of Ellick's life and his interior thinking and who knows, even his indoctrination. You know, we all ask, like, when did this start for Ellick? Well, maybe Corey knows the answer to that. And more than that, um, Corey was involved. He, was, he represented Dennis Gerwing, who is the person that they suspect killed John and Elizabeth Calvert in uh, on Hilton Head Island in 2008. And as part of that, like, lore that goes on with the Calvert case, one of the questions was always, well, what did Dennis do with that money? And also, was he involved in some sort of captive insurance offshore situation or embezzling money offshore? So it was interesting that Corey came from north of the broad to represent Dennis um, with those potential murder charges on his hand before Dennis took his own life and just sort of the... Um, you know, the buzz around uh, offshore money laundering that, that surrounded that case. So there's just two little nuggets that I feel like I need to point out. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I hope that, I hope that our instincts were right, but who knows? <laughs> um, I just think that Corey could help the state out a whole lot and they, they put on the right amount of pressure, I think. So Let's see what happens. Well, we had some Russell Lafitte news this week um, on the civil end. You know, we still have our um, the Plyler sisters claim, civil claim against Russell Lafitte. And Russell now has another, uh, a new lawyer, Cheryl. Um, Cheryl Schoen. Yep. In addition to Andy Hazelton. And we were supposed to go to trial on October 9th uh, this week, actually on the civil case. And, uh, uh, they went to the judge and said, look, it's going to be so difficult to transfer Russell from Florida to come back to trial this week. And so we're trying to get the week of November 27th, which is the same week of Alex Murdoch's state trial. And Judge Carmen Mullen was the uh, presiding judge. And so my partner, Ronnie, wrote her and said, look, we need to get this designated for November 27th. 
and she said, I'm recused, you know, from hearing anything having to do with you guys. And Ronnie wrote back and said, look, you're the scheduling judge. We're not asking you to do anything except, you know, schedule this trial in front of everybody agreed was going to be November 27th. And she wouldn't do it. And she sent us to another judge. So we're hopeful that we can get Russell's uh, trial uh, for November 27th, which should give him enough advance notice in the Bureau of Prisons to be able to transfer him back. So that's a, a bit of news as well. That's a good bit of news, but can I just point out something? That shows that Judge Mullen sees the scheduling as an, an act of politics, like a political uh, decision to make, not just a rote decision you make as a judge. Ministerial, a ministerial. right? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's something that she feels like she can control and meet out and therefore doesn't want to be involved. Like, if you really understood your role to be completely impartial, you would understand that that very little act of scheduling your trial should not be seen as favorable or, or unfavorable. And that's why she's recusing herself, because in her world, that's, that power means something over when your case gets scheduled, doesn't it? It does. It does. And she, it's her job as the scheduling supervisor judge to move cases along. And this case came up and it was Russell who's asking for the continuance, his side, and it was granted. And I understand it because of his, you know, recent admission into the federal system. But like you said, this is a ministerial test. It's not a discretionary test. The parties agree on November 27th. We just have to get it signed. And she wouldn't do it. But her, so here's my problem with that. If you are recusing yourself, you should have absolutely nothing to do with any of these cases. And I feel like her inaction is still involved. Like, shouldn't she get somebody else to schedule? Like, why? Is no, she I think her recusal is us. Her recusal was Bland Richter because of the complaints that we made. She recused herself from hearing anything having to do with Alex. Um, but I don't know if she's ever recused herself anything on Russell Lafitte, has she? No, not that, I, not to my knowledge. It's just, and it shows how small this whole world that we're involved in is, because it, like, it just circled straight back to Judge Mullen. And what did she ultimately do? Something against you. Um, it's interesting to me that you're saying that Cheryl Schoen is now one of Russell's repris, uh, one of Russell's attorneys. Because he has now taken, this would be, I believe, his second attorney that he's taken, who is also working on the uh, Parker, Greg Parker uh, case, the one that Mark Tinsley and the Beach family brought against Greg Parker himself, not Parker's Kitchen, for civil conspiracy. Uh, Mark Moore and Cheryl Schoen are both involved in that case. But Russell really, it seems like, he likes he likes to see who who the dirtiest person in the room is and ask them for uh, lawyer recommendations. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a, there must be some sort of Craigslist for that. I don't know. <laughs> I would love to know how much money that guy is spending on lawyers because he just keeps adding them. <laughs> And he's the richest one of all, by the way. Like when you look at the actual assets that he has versus what Alec, you know, they could trace from him and what Corey had. I also want to give a quick shout out to uh, Stephanie Truesdale's daughter, Anna Truesdale, has had a little bit of uh, 
uh, under the weather, hasn't been feeling good, and I think she's on the mend. And Stephanie and Anna are great friends of the show. They've made us, you know, our dolls, our knitted dolls. And I just want to give a shout out to Anna to, you know, feel good, and we're thinking about her. Yeah, Anna, um, Stephanie just texted me right before this. Um, she's actually out of the hospital. Anna just got out of the hospital, so that's really oh, that's great. great. And, she, and she's on the men, so they're really excited. Oh, that's and, so good, yeah. And yeah, she sent me a picture of her smiling. She's so happy. So, and Stephanie's like so excited to get regular showers and yeah. <laughs> bed. She's been in the hospital with her daughter all week, poor thing. Oh, But yeah, yeah shout out to Stephanie. Well, yeah, I hope I hope that she's feeling better, and it sounds like she is, so that's good. Cups down. Cups down. Cups down, guys. This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the jackhammer of justice. From Luna Shark Productions.